0: I want to say good morning. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors, and it's good to have you. You've already heard we're jumping into a new series, and I want to give you a little bit of a a preface to some things that are taking place in the church right now with this new series. It says, no middle ground. Everybody say, no middle ground. I need you to bring this back every week. Why? Because I don't want to spend this amount of money again for you to get a new one every week. Do I hear an amen? All right. So um, I will bring it back. Okay, now, now you're held accountable. Um, so try to bring this back so we can have it. Also, in just two Sundays, um, God, God is doing a work here, right? I mean, I know people, they just started sending people out of this place. They said, go upstairs, whatever. We got a bunch of people in the gym, which is great. We have other people right now, as was mentioned previously, Pastor Luke and Andrew and others. Um, they're over in Jamestown at the same time with a group of people. Um, and so there's a lot of really neat things that are taking place. But in two weeks, we get to uh, start another service just to be able to to allow people to hear the word of God. That's all we really. That's all we care about. Um, and so we're going to do that by offering a service at eight o'clock. Um, don't worry. I don't really expect many of you to come to that, but that'd be cool if you did. Um, 9, 15, 10, 45, and 12. So I'm assuming that because you came to a 10 o'clock service today, you're most likely going to come at 9, 15 or 10, 45. That's my assumption. If you think you might come at 9, 15, will you just raise your hand? If you think you might come at 10, 45, would you just raise your hand? That helped not one bit. It's like dead on 50-50. All right, what are you doing? Oh, my goodness. You guys give me gray hair. Um, oh, my goodness. Um, well, at least you know what times they are now. eight, 8, 9, 15, 10, 45, and 12. And hopefully I will remember them so I show up on time. No middle ground. We're talking about that. And we're doing it by walking through uh, a good chunk of the Gospel of John. I want to tell you what the purpose of this is. Uh, this is, uh, my favorite preaching is just to walk through a book of the Bible. Last year, I uh, walked through the book of Hebrews, 13 chapters. It took pretty much the entire school year to do that. Uh, I loved just walking through it in a way that people hopefully can understand it. This one's a little different. It, it's to give you language. Um, John chapter 1, I'm preaching John chapter 1 today. I could I could literally spend probably six weeks John chapter 1. That's not the point because um, in the church today, we've made it too much about just education rather than transformation or information rather than transformation. And I want you to be able to walk out of today and go, hey, this is look at some friends who don't know Jesus who, or at least maybe trying to understand who Jesus really is and to say, hey, let's, let's have a conversation then. I am trying to train and to equip the saints to go make more saints to give glory to Jesus. That's it. That's the goal of today. And this entire series and what we're trying to do. Um, and trying to help you also evaluate who do you think Jesus really is? Have you given him authority in your life? Because there's a difference in professing something and then actually giving something authority. You can profess something all you want, but it doesn't mean that you have given it authority in your life. Jesus Christ is all about saying, you need to give me authority in your life to help you make decisions to be able to walk through life. Um, so that if you have any issues, whether it be with lust or whether it be with um, any kind of gluttony, or whether it be with anger or pride or anything at all, you surrender it to him so that he has authority in your life and that you live accordingly. So many people in the church today, they profess something, but they haven't automatically given authority to Jesus Christ. That's really important for us to recognize. Now, fortunately, I don't have to worry about that in terms of judging that. That's not my job. That's up to God. I'm here to simply be faithful to the preaching of the word. That's all we get to do. And we help people to walk that journey. And looking at the gospel of John... Um, Why no middle ground? Why that title? Because you will learn that either you have said yes to Jesus fully over here, or even though you've professed something, you've said no to him because you have not given him authority. There is no middle ground, friends. Hear me say it now. There's no middle ground. That is why you have a nation that had the most resources, the most number of people, percentage wise, ever declaring Jesus Christ as Lord simply a half century ago, 40 years ago, and now it's plummeted off. Why? Because we taught people to profess something rather than giving authority to Jesus Christ. That is a big difference. And so my prayer is that you're going to have to evaluate whether or not you've given the authority that you need to give Jesus in your life and what that looks like. So that's what we're going to be walking through. Um, Also, why John? Now, you're going to have some notes. Go ahead and get something. You need to write these things. I've given you the booklet. So It's week one. You should have it. Um, So get this out. You're going to scribble some things down on week number one. I want to tell you why Gospel of John, and i want to help you understand, because how many Gospels are there? Four. What are they? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everybody say it together. All right. And we need to understand what the differences are. And I, I could spend a long time on this, too, but I'm going to give you, in essence, one sentence on what each of these Gospels is doing. So that you can look at her friend and say, "Well, oh, here's the differences. There's four gospels. the 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 fact that Jesus Christ is God dwelling on earth with us. That's Jesus is God dwelling on earth with us." That's the incarnation, fully human, full deity. So that's incarnation. We look at that. So here's Jesus, God dwelling on earth with us, even though he's always been. That's why the doctrine of the Trinity matters. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus has always been from the very beginning. It says Jesus came in flesh through Jesus, his son, 2,000 years ago. So that's when if you ever go to another church, you move away, whatever it might be, you need to ask them about their understanding of their doctrine of the Trinity. All right. These things matter, by the way. The reason that we are so confused in our world about what love is and about what kindness is and about what goodness is and all these different things is because we have forgotten the core of what the Word of God speaks. This matters a lot. And so you look at Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we look at Jesus Christ. Jesus is God dwelling on earth, the incarnation. And it's so important that four different people document some of the most important pieces of his story. Here's the Gospel of Matthew Matthew, writes, Matthew is a Jewish man who raised, he, he basically collected taxes, he's a tax collector, and he did that for the Romans. So he was considered by uh, many of the Jews to be a traitor, but he wrote to Jews. He was a Jewish individual who came to know the authority of Jesus Christ. So Matthew wrote to Jews, and he primarily focused on what Jesus said. That's what I want you to know. Matthew wrote to Jews, focused on what Jesus said. Right? It starts with genealogy in chapter 1 and... Chapter 2, and then you jump in with the birth story in chapter 2. Chapter 3, of course, we already know, these are the progressions that you need to understand. Um, you've got his baptism. You've got the testing and the tempting of, by Satan in the wilderness in 4. And then chapter 5, he started documenting on the amount. Beginning of Jesus' messianic ministry. Why messianic ministry? That was the beginning of his ministry where he knew people, he would have to identify himself finally as Messiah. Messianic ministry. Messiah, we'll talk about it more, but it means the chosen the chosen one or anointed one, okay? So here's Jesus Christ, um, and he's being presented by Matthew to primarily Jewish people. Uh, and Matthew is primarily writing about what he said. Mark wrote primarily to Romans. I love how many of you are taking notes right now. It's awesome. Mark wrote primarily not only but uh, to Romans. Um, to Romans, writing about what Jesus did. It's the shortest gospel that we had. It's power punch. Like, it's just like, yes. And it's all the different miracles and things that Jesus did just very, very quick. Boom, 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 boom. It's concentrated. It's condensed. It's just full of action. It's gospel of Mark. Then you get into Luke. Luke is a Gentile physician, smart guy. He wrote primarily to Greeks, not only, but primarily about, I would say how Jesus uh, how he felt in a way. Um, I I struggled to come up with the right word on this one. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. These are considered to be the synoptics. The synoptics. Um, So you have Matthew, Jew, Mark, Romans, Luke to Greeks, Gentile. Um, John writes to the entire world, presenting the most full description and the most full understanding of who Jesus is, um, and that's what he writes about. John writes to the entire world about who Jesus is. So one's writing about what he said, one wrote about what he did, one about just how he felt, and then another about who he is. So that's why the gospel of John is so important. Here's John. John is one of the, the three closest to Jesus Christ. We know that as well. Um, John is the only disciple who was left at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. But Jesus said to him, he says, hey, listen, I need you to care for my mom. That tells you how close they are. Like if I tell any of you, hey, you need to care for my mom, that's a big thing. Right? So here he is, asking care for his mom. He's He's the first one to the tomb after his resurrection. Now, he's not the first one in. Peter jumped ahead of him. Because John comes up to the tomb. We know that he's like, oh, what's going on here? And so here he comes, Peter, and jumps in front, and then he goes in. But John's first one to the tomb. John's incredibly close to who Jesus Christ is. But to let you know, uh, here's a better way to look at it, is the synoptics, I think, give a snapshot. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they give a snapshot of who Jesus is in a particular way. John gives the entire portrait, the entire picture. All right. So people are going to say, well, why do you want to look at, uh, you're going to look at someone and say, hey, uh, let's walk through John chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and start looking at who Jesus is. Well, why are we looking at John? Well, there's four gospels and each of these accounts gives a picture of who Jesus is. Some of them are more focused, but John gives the most full picture portrait of who Jesus is. And uh, even in John chapter one, we have 11 different names that we have of who Jesus is in just that one chapter. And so it lets us understand these 11 names of who Jesus is for us to discover what name do we give him that's a conversation we want you having you can have that conversation right something we we like to speak up here people say actions speak louder than words friends actions can speak as loud as words but it does not mean we don't use our words right how do you even know another way that John, john is speaking to the entire world about who jesus is even his genealogy And some are going, well, he doesn't want you to give a genealogy. Yes, he does. Matthew gives a genealogy right away because he's writing to Jews. So he gives a genealogy that links Jesus to being of the lineage of David. All right? Because Jews needed to know that. Otherwise, they would give no authority to it. All right, Are you following me on that? You got to. This is this is really big. So here's Matthew. He's given this genealogy about who Jesus is tied to David because they knew the Jews knew the people of Israel knew that he would have to be linked to that, connected to that. So that's what he did because he's writing to Jews. John's writing to the entire world. So his his genealogy, you know what it is? It's called creation. Here's who Jesus is. He is the Creator. He is the Word. And the word was, with, it was God. And so we look at that and we go, yeah. So he starts back at Genesis chapter 1. I told you he's writing to everyone. That's a different way of thinking about it. So he starts with the genealogy going further back than any of the others. He goes to creation. That's why John. And I covered some of this a couple years back, Right. But some of you weren't here for that. But also, um, we're going to do it a little differently. So, 11 names and descriptions. You can scribble down real quick. 11 names, descriptions of Jesus in John chapter 1. Um, I'm going to go very, very fast. John chapter, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Um, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word. In the beginning, right? That is the definition of Genesis. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning he was God. So Jesus is God. That is why he's more than a prophet. If you don't, this is why we don't really know who Jesus is to us. Besides, oh, well, he saved me from my sins. So I can have eternal life. It's something we profess. I don't think the majority of people actually have given it authority. I'm going to go back to the way I began. Because otherwise we would look very different than we currently do. Even in churches today, they struggle with who Jesus is. Well, I will tell you now, he is the word. In the beginning was the word, he was God, and the word was God, it says. So it says he's the word, and the word was God. So he's not only the word, but he's also God. Jesus is creator, verse 3. It says, all things were made through him, and without him was was, was not anything made that was made. So he was the creator, so word, God, creator. He was the light. John 1, 9, but also John 1, 4, John 1, 5, John 1, 7, all these different places talks about how he was the light, right? Um, he's Christ. John 1.17 speaks about how he is the Christ. We know on several places here it refers to him as being the Lamb of God. He's rabbi, which means teacher. He's Messiah, He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel. He's the son of man. I know I'm going very, very quick. It's going to be the entire series. Just, all right. So you can go back and you can get some of these if you want to. I'll read these out again for you if you didn't get them all. He's the word, God, creator, light, Christ, lamb of God, rabbi, Messiah, son of God, king of Israel, son of man. These are all, here's John, writing to the entire world, a picture of who Jesus is be fun for you guys to meet with your family, friends. Maybe you do it for lunch afterwards and you say, hey, which of these are true of who you think Jesus is? How do you understand Jesus as being creator? How do you understand Jesus as being, right, rabbi, teacher? What does that look like for you as son of God, son of man? And These are the discussions that actually shifted my life. They changed my life. For a long time, I felt that my faith was based on how much I could um, learn. And, and then all of a sudden, things shifted to how much could I know about Jesus. And that, it, it created a relationship that was very, very deep. And everything in me shifted. Everything shifted. So you need to know what those are. Today, what I want to do is we're going to focus on five of these. Five of these. Because I, reality hits at some point. Right. If I, afterwards, if I see you at Meijer or somewhere else and I say, oh, what are the 11 names? Probably most of you are not going to. One, you'll probably never come back again. <laughs> Two, very few of you could probably do that. All right. But maybe we can get five. So that's the goal. And these are five of the most important ones that I find here that's going to help us walk this journey. And it's going to force you, force you. Friends, you're going to be forced today to ask yourself, are these, do I believe these things are true? Do I believe that these things are true? Because the Gospel of John is to prove Jesus is the Son of God. That's what he's doing. Both fully human, fully divine, incarnation, right? And Jesus, the Word, is both an agent of creation and also an expression for God. Expression for God and expression of God. So that's what we get to look at today. Um. He is the word. Even in John, um, we often think about the I am's. We're going we're to tackle some of the I am's as we walk through the series. There's seven I am's. He says, I am the bread of life. I am light of the world. I am the way and the truth uh, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate, right? He, I am the good shepherd. He, the seven I am's, um, well, it's because in John chapter 10, verse 30 through 33, he says that very thing. I am. And the father are one. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham, I, I am from the beginning. And so we jump into these five things. All right. So here we go. That was all intro. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Four services is not going to go well. Um, they're going to be waiting. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Please be praying about that right now. Um, John chapter 1, very first thing of the five that I want you to understand of those 11 that I called out. Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. All right. You've got to know that Jesus is creator. We find it in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Um, verse 3 is the primary on that, that we know that he was there. He was creator. This is why it matters. If you've had children before or if you've ever been a child before, raise your hand. Okay, if some of you are adults and still act like a child, please raise your hand now. I I look at it and go, have you ever looked at someone who's a child and they're doing something, you're not their parent, but you look at a child who's doing something that you know they probably should not be doing. And so maybe they're 15 feet up on a scaffolding and they're about to fall and there's nothing but shards of glass and concrete below them. And so you say, "Ho, you need to go ahead and get down. And they respond with, you're not my mom or you're not my father, or you can't tell me what to do. And they always do, they always do the, I guess they always do that motion. Anybody ever heard, you can't tell me what to do? Anybody said that to your parents and you're still living? Good job. Because if my kids who are not in this service do that to me, they can go back and watch this. Your whole life changes, right? Like, if they look at me, I'm their father. You can't tell me. No. When someone, though, is the parent, and you look at a kid and you say, hey, you know, hey, son, daughter, you shouldn't be doing that, they should respond differently. Why? Because they know who their creator is. They know who their parent is. One of the reasons we have lost, such res- we have lost respect for God and for Christ is we don't understand that he is our creator. He is our father. You respond differently. Look, guys, when, Jesus, when you recognize that Jesus was from the beginning, that he is creator, that's why doctrine of Trinity, once again, is so important. When you know that he is creator and he is your father in heaven, all of a sudden when God says, do this, you don't go, you can't tell me what to do. Many of us have a posture with Jesus. When the word of God speaks, we go and people remind us of what the word of God says, we have a posture that basically says, you can't tell me what to do. It's because you have not given the authority to Jesus that he deserves in your life as your creator. And so you look at him through pride and through insecurity and you say, you can't tell me what to do. Even though what he has for you is best, you don't care. You think you know better than he does. You, don't care. you think that you've got all the answers, and that's our posture. Jesus is creator, though, and you're understanding that Jesus Christ is the creator who was with God and was God, and he was life and the life that was the light of men. When you look at that and you even go back to Genesis and understanding that God created, that Jesus was there, that God created everything through Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, then there's a different understanding of how you respond to him. And how you speak to him, how you listen to God, how you listen to Christ and what his words are and how you absorb them. We need to understand. So you're talking with some friends. You've got a bunch of, you're a nurse and you got a bunch of nurses who come together. And you've got a bunch of men and women who are like, hey, well, what do you, why do you think that Jesus is creator? Well, it's because of the word of God. And this is what it says about it. Well, I don't believe in the Bible. Well, that's okay that you don't, but I do. So every decision and everything in my life is dictated by this. My life is so much easier because I already have the answers from the living, active word of God that is right here before me. So, He's creator. He made everything. God has always been. He never had a beginning, He made everything else. There wasn't anything before God. God is life. There wasn't anything before God. Now, that's the key. John Piper says it like this Physical matter did not give rise to life, life gave rise to physical matter. Now, that's a summary of what he said, but it's really well said. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's exact. So too many people think that physical matter gave rise to life. Boom, like everything had to be precise because like if we're like an inch closer to the sun, we all melt. And if we're an inch farther away, then we all die from like hypothermia within three minutes. And all these different things come into play. I know God existed prior. So God, life, gave rise to physical matter. Physical matter did not give rise to life. So, for the atheist, that's their struggle. For the atheist, everything begins with matter and energy, and everything exploded just right. And so, now all of a sudden, that over time gave rise to us, and now we are here and functioning. No creator, no intelligence, no design, which means if you have no creator, no intelligence, right? If you have no design or purpose, that means you have no plan in life, you have no value. It's just live however you want to live. That's the thing with atheists. If you don't believe in God, what you're saying is it really doesn't matter what you do. There are no repercussions for anything you do. There are no consequences. You can live however you want because at the end, you're just going to die. You're going to go into the dirt. There's no soul. There's no understanding that there is a creator of life. And so as a result, you just get to live however you want to live. It's actually one of the most selfish ways you can live. So Jesus is creator. But we know the biblical worldview is flip of that, is is reverse of that. There was life, then physical matter, and then energy. It is impossible to have a full relationship with Jesus if you deny the creator of his creation. If you know that he is the creator and that you are his creation, you now have a very different posturing, a different relationship with him. Is Jesus your creator? Do you truly believe that? Everybody say, Jesus is creator. Jesus is creator. Everybody say, Jesus is, Jesus is light. Second thing you got to know, he's creator and he's light. This is probably found in John chapter 1, 4 through 10. In John chapter one, beginning with verse four, he says in him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse um, seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light because that's John the Baptist. But the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We know that John the Baptist was a forerunner to Jesus Christ, was a cousin, but a forerunner to who he was, that he would be the light of the world, that he would be Messiah. So here he is, Jesus is light. And it speaks to this because John presents man as belonging to one of two things. That's why there's no middle ground. You belong to one of two things. You either belong to darkness, which is death, or you belong over here to light, which is life. You belong to one of two things. That's how John presents it. And it lets us understand, oh, what do I really belong to? It's a great question for us about a process. There's no middle ground. There's a line in the middle, and you get to choose which one will you profess. Jesus, it says, is the light of men. The darkness does not understand the light. We already know that the darkness will not understand the light. I know that I, I live by a different set of rules than what the world lives by. I live by the word of God. And so a lot of people in the world are like, why are you doing that? Non-believers, specifically, they want to know, why am I living like this? Or why am I making this decision? Or why am I doing this? It's because the, the darkness does not understand the light. And here comes John the Baptist, and he bore witness to the light. John chapter 3, 19 through 21, not going there yet. That's really in a couple of weeks. But he says that man has loved the darkness instead of the light because their works were evil. If you don't believe in the light of the world and you live in darkness, you can get away with anything you want to get away with. Because nobody can see it, nor judge it, nor condemn it. So you can do whatever you want. The easiest thing for the person who is self-centered to do is to say that there is no God because now they have no standard to hold them accountable. This is not complicated, friends. It's really not. Listen, Jesus used a bunch of fishermen without education. It's not complicated. The church has made this way too complex. That's so why I tell preachers all the time, if a preacher isn't able to preach to where a can understand, he's not being biblical. Because Jesus Christ used a bunch of fishermen to change the world and to bring glory to his name. So he's creator, yes, but he's also the light. Jesus is referred to, John chapter 8, 12, is referred to as the light of the world. John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11, He's referred to as the prince of the world. John 12, 35 through 36 says that the person who walks in the dark doesn't even know where he's going. We're aimless. That means the rules, they keep changing. (laughs) Right? They're going to always keep changing because there's nothing to guide it. There's nothing to say, here's what it is. So he's light. Also, third, not only is he creator, he's light, but Jesus is life. Everybody say Jesus is life. I've already mentioned John 14, 6. I'm the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. If you profess faith in Jesus, you now have life. That's called the gospel. He does not come into judgment, but you have passed from death to life. If you don't know Jesus and don't profess faith in him, yes, there is death. You're walking in darkness. But if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, there is life to be had. In other words, apart from believing in Jesus Christ, we're all dead. We're dead in our trespasses. First John, chapter five, verse 11 and 12, first John, okay, not one of the gospels. First John five, 11 through 12 says, God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John chapter four, uh, cha- John chapter 5, verse 40. I think we have this slide for you. Uh, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You just keep wanting to live for yourself. Remember, John's writing to the entire world so they can have an understanding of who Jesus is. And yet many of them are refusing it because they want to live for self. And so as a result of that, they refuse and they do not have life. So he's creator, he's light, but he's also life. John 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is so important because, and if we could... If you look at this passage, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What you must understand is if he's creator and he's light and he's also life, that means when Jesus Christ came, if you give him authority, he did not come to simply make you better. He came to give you a new life completely. This this is big. We think that if we come and give Jesus Christ some authority, then we're just going to make a slight modification and then we're going to be good. No, no, no. Jesus Christ came so that we might be a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Those are words of Paul. There's not a slight modification. You are now a completely new person because of the authority that you have given Jesus as creator, as light, and as life. You were dead and you were blind to who he was, but if you have received him, you now have received life. And we know that in John 10, 10, it says that I have come that they may have life and have it what? Have it abundantly. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to have an abundance of life, but there is a greater life to be had when you live for him rather than living for self. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. So he is creator. He's light. He's life, and he's Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb of God. That's number four. Everybody say, Jesus is the Lamb of God. All right, so this is really important as well. Why? Well, it's the gospel message. For thousands of years, they would go, and they would take a lamb. They would slaughter it at Passover, and they would pay a debt for the sin that they had for the previous year. So what they would do. The majority of those at Passover, Passover would be would have been in Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have swollen by at least a population of four times of what it normally would have been. The people would have come into Jerusalem. They would have gone to get a lamb from possibly in Bethlehem where Jesus was born and raised. Um, and so they would go and they would get a lamb and they would slaughter it to pay for their sins. God knew that there had to be something to pay a, a price for our sin. It's called substitutionary atonement. And so as a result, when you're talking to your friends, you're gonna like, okay, what does it mean that he's a lamb of God? And you're gonna tell them, well, for thousands of years, the people of God, the Israelites, believed that you had to have a, you had to pay for your sin, you had to pay for those things, and you had to slaughter a lamb or something in order to do that. And so God refers to the Son of God, his, his own, as being the Lamb of God. So that now we don't have to do that anymore. John chapter 1, verse 35. And following, but when when we look at this, in fact, it's, it's really cool to think about. Well, actually, go back. John chapter 1, verse 29. Um, this is John the Baptist. It says, the next day when he saw Jesus coming toward him, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, right away, when somebody would have said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To say that somebody took away the sin of the world, that's blasphemy. Those are, those are words that are dangerous to speak. But it says, behold, the Lamb of God. He does it again later on. Um, when Jesus calls the first disciples in verse 35 and following, he says, the next, day, here's the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. So if John is saying this multiple times in a row, why? Because of the significance of being the Lamb of God meaning that he was going to take away our sin, substitutionary atonement. He's paying the price of our sin. He would die in our place. And the disciples of John knew the value and the importance of this. And so in verse 37, it tells us that when he says, behold, the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They say to him, Rabbi. So there's Rabbi. And he just, they jump in and say, hey, if you're the Lamb of God, we're following you. If you're the lamb of God, we're going to follow you because of the authority that they are giving to him right away. I'm, I'm going to keep jumping back on that with the authority of Jesus Christ because we don't understand that if he is the son of God, if he is the lamb of God, that if he is light and life, the creator, there's there's a different response we should probably be having in our life. If Jesus Christ walks in these doors right now, I'm not going to be like, oh, Jesus, hey, thanks for coming. Um, could you help me out and fix some stuff in my life? Like, uh, no, I'm going to say whatever he wants. I'm going to jump down and I'm going to walk over here. Camera people, I apologize. Um, and I'm just going to say, he's going to walk up and say, "Wherever you're going, I'm in. That wherever you're going, I'm in. You're the Son of God. You're the Lamb of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Light of the World. You're the Life that gives to all people. You're the Creator. And if he, if if you have given him that authority in your life, I just want you to evaluate it. If you've given him that authority. Your prayers would be far more about Jesus, how can I give you glory today rather than Jesus, can you do all these things for me today? Evaluate your prayers. Are you asking of God to do more for you? Or are you asking God to give you the wisdom to know how to do more for him? Not because you can earn it, but because he is worthy to be served. Do you not see? Do you not look at this and go, this is why we're so broken. Right, Nobody would look at our world today and go, man, we're just a big pot of healthiness. Why? Because we're not giving authority to Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God without blemish, without spot, without any type of defect whatsoever. He is the creator. He is life. He is light. And he is the Lamb of God, which means finally he is, and write it down, he is Messiah. In Hebrew, it literally means that he is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. And they had been waiting for hundreds of years, thousands of years for Messiah to come, right? Even right before Jesus Christ came onto the scene and John the Baptist, you had a 400 year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period where people were like, oh, God was kind of silent, but God was laying the groundwork so that they could receive his son. Even non-Jews were waiting. That's when the wise men came from Persia. They're going, they knew what to look for. They had heard all the stories. And so Jesus Christ came and fulfilled over 300 prophecies. He fulfilled over 300 prophecies in order to be the Messiah. And so just know this, you want to object to over 300 prophecies given over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years that all line up perfectly. You know the arrogance that is in that. Does Jesus Christ have authority in your life as Messiah? So when you talk and you meet with your friends, you have an opportunity to look at him as being the light and the life and the creator, but the lamb of God that he is Messiah. Is he Messiah to you? Where if he walks in that door, you're jumping down and wherever he's going, you're in. It'll change your conversations this afternoon. And at some point what we don't like about it is if Jesus gets a hold of your life in that way at some point you will have a breaking in your life you will be broken by him that will release your own self-indulgence your own self your desire for self-control and you'll give him authority in your life and everything changes Because he is a creator. He is light. He is life. He is the lamb of God. Substitutionary atonement. Wow, what a wonderful thing to share with your friends. But also he is the Messiah. He is the chosen one, the anointed one to bring life to all who profess faith in him. Yeah, does that mean there's going to be some hostility? Without a doubt. There's a reason Christians are the most persecuted group in the world by far. It's not even close. Because it means others have to say no to the way they're currently living in order to say yes to the King of Kings. Is he, I mean just absorb it, is he your Messiah? When I think about Jesus Christ as being Messiah, I'm, I'm just, my wife and I are holding hands last night, praying before we go to bed, and I'm praying about that very thing. God, you, you have all of me, and that's what we're praying. God, you have all of us. Whatever you say goes, we're in. Because he's our Messiah. Is he your Messiah? And will you go tell others that you have found life? that he's the light of the world and he's the perfect lamb of God who took away your sin. And even better, it gets better that he's your creator. He's your heavenly father, Abba. Will you give him that authority in your life? Friends, there is no middle ground. And so Lord, we come before you And I ask that we would give you the authority that we would acknowledge that you are creator and light and life and that you're the lamb of God and that you are Messiah. And you're so much more than that. But God, let us then truly evaluate it for ourselves, And if the answer is yes, may we go tell others. Encourage these friends of mine. Encourage these brothers and sisters to move forward and to walk forward to run forward wherever you desire God we're all in in Christ's name